Welcome to a bonus episode of United Ireland. As usual, you never know what you're going to get on one of our bonus episodes. And we decided it's time for a coffee break. Una here, and in this episode, we're looking at a small Irish coffee company that has built an ethical business model, giving back to its staff, the charity Women's Aid, and projects in countries where it sources its coffee. The company is called Imbibe. It was set up by a guy called Gary Grant. Um, You can buy their coffee in various shops and also on imbibe.ie. And the reason um, that we decided to have a chat with Gary, it's kind of about highlighting good practice, I suppose. Um, It's really easy to give out about the bad stuff, the crappy businesses and the poor practices and the kind of, you know, stuff that kind of gets you down in terms of seeing um, just like crappy things around the place. But of course, there are so many people doing really good stuff. Um, and I think it's something that we can learn from, that it's a bit more uh, positive. You know, when people are doing good stuff, it's kind of like, OK, well, how can they do that really well? And how do we do more of that as a society and as an economy? Uh, it's important to point out that this is not SponCon. Uh, this is not an ad. But I am a big fan of this coffee on a very superficial level, first and foremost. But I'm also really intrigued by their business model. So I wanted to know more. How do you create a business that builds in decency, empathy, and a genuinely ethical point of view from the get-go? And if a small coffee company in Ireland can do it, uh, why do we not just have this, you know, as the norm across the board? So. Here is your coffee break with Gary Grant of Imbibe. So Gary, um, give me a little bit of background to Imbibe, when and why you set up the company and, and what your intentions were. Okay, well, I started the company, uh, got it to be just over 10 years ago now. Uh, I'd worked in financial services. Uh, Ireland had gone into recession uh, and I just wanted to do something that was entirely different. Uh, I happened to come across a documentary that was called Black Gold, which was about coffee farmers and their unions in Ethiopia. Uh, I pretty much then and there decided that I was going to sell coffee and I was going to do it as ethically as possible. Now, that said, I knew nothing about it. Uh, It probably, looking back, wasn't the smartest thing I've ever done. It, It happened to work out, but that was more dumb luck than anything. Uh, because basically I just started importing roasted coffee from the UK. Uh, it was a massive struggle for quite a few years. The business grew incredibly slowly and it was very precarious at times. Uh, and then finally, when I got onto a solid footing, uh, the UK voted for Brexit. Uh, so that was kind of a huge threat to the business. So straight away I knew I had to do something. Uh, so I guess we're almost a kind of positive Brexit story if, if such a thing exists. I'd always wanted to roast coffee myself, and it was the way the Irish market was going. So at that time, I called a pal of mine, uh, Vincent Cal, who works in the food business, and asked him to come on board to help me make it happen. Uh, he's a smart person. And again, uh, I just think it's it's always good to have smart people on board with you. I was clear, I suppose, from the outset of the business that I wanted it to be very different. And I didn't want it to be just about selling coffee. Uh I wanted to help people if possible, and I 
identified Women's Aid as just a brilliant organization who do really, really fantastic things. Um, mm. I was, though, also conscious that sometimes businesses with an ethical tilt, if we can call it that, can kind of be viewed in a way as perhaps compromising slightly on the quality. Uh, and I wanted the quality to be undoubted and I suppose of, of, of the very highest standards. Uh, so my my goal for Imbibe is that we become not one of the biggest roasters in Europe, but certainly one of the best in terms of quality. Uh, again, as I as I just said, I didn't really know an awful lot about how to go about doing this. So as well as Vincent, I also called on a pal of mine called Damien Blackburn, who runs a roastery in Yorkshire called Darkwoods. Uh, he was an incredible help in setting things up and in terms of sourcing, and he's he's still a really, really good uh help to the business today he made us aware of an organization called cafe feminino who promote gender equality in coffee producing countries so that kind of tied in nicely i guess with what we were doing with with women's aid so we ended up buying the entire harvest for europe from an all-female co-op in peru uh, and we did the same again last year so that's one of two components in our kaleidoscope coffee which is i guess our our biggest selling coffee mm. Go back to something that you're saying there. So like um, there's two things, I suppose, in terms of the origin story, like you're one of those mythical people um, that people talk about in terms of Ireland's recession, that you were working in finance and then, you know, the the economy fell apart. So you go pursue a, a passion project. Is that a bit simplistic? Like when, when you were saying, you know, you're watching stuff about coffee, like you must have been a real coffee nerd, though. No. Uh, oh. No, honestly, I, I wasn't. I, I, I didn't. I mean, I enjoyed coffee. I certainly wouldn't have called myself a connoisseur by any stretch of the imagination. I guess back then, the, dare I call it, kind of coffee revolution in Ireland hadn't really taken place. It was it was just beginning. Uh, so specialty coffee wasn't a huge thing. I mean, I, I just watched this documentary and I, I, I just kind of thought, God, this is this is pretty awful. Uh, and obviously kind of being, being aware that coffee is a very, very popular product. I just thought perhaps I can do this and maybe do it differently. Maybe I was a little bit naive or I don't know. Uh, but I guess the position that we're in now, we are, we are certainly doing the things now that I always wanted to do. Was I doing them back then? I possibly thought I was, but but probably not. Mm. So let's talk about the, like one of the characteristics that really, um, sets imbibe apart i suppose and you you touched on it there with regards to um how the, the company's focus on kind of gender equality really i suppose and enabling different projects so a lot of corporations uh you know have these kind of like see it like corporate social responsibility type yeah. things and yes and as you're saying there's like um you know a company kind of performing ethics or 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 performing an ethical stance can sometimes feel a bit corny and then other times you know you know that it's very authentic or whatever what you do is that you deliver 1% of turnover to 1% of that to charity 1% another 1% to various kind of projects that you're involved in in terms of where you're sourcing the coffee yeah. And another 1% back to staff. Yes. Can you tell me how those things work, where they're going and why you do them? Okay, well, I suppose originally I, I really did want the business to be different. And I suppose, as you say, CSOR, I think, has almost become a kind of dirty thing where you see a lot of companies 
engaging in it or at least pretending to engage in it but it just strikes me as a as a pure exercise so I wanted to do something that was very real so I felt the turnover was something that was very real and it was an easy thing to do I mean I suppose when we when we started we started out by giving one percent to women's aid uh, and it was a very easy call to make an analogy I guess that I always use in this is that you know if you'd a euro and somebody asked you for one cent and that one cent would help them, you wouldn't really have a second thought about giving it to them. In fact, the only problem you might have with it is that you wouldn't want 99 cent change in your pocket. So obviously all of our payments are online, so there is no change. Uh, so it just kind of struck me as a very small and simple kindness that you, would, that you might engage in in everyday life, but just adapting that to a business model. Uh, the second 1% that we decided to give I suppose it's really just an extension of the same analogy. You know, if you had a euro, is is two cent really such a big deal? Uh, I don't really think so. I mean, I guess it is viable for us as a business. And to go back, I'm kind of talking through the last recession. I got hit pretty hard back then. But I suppose I, I learned from it. And one of the things that I learned was that I don't really need very fancy things in my life. Uh, my wife feels exactly the same way. Uh, our kids have a very nice life. We might, you know, we we go on holidays, or we we did go on holidays uh, a couple of times a year. And our biggest extravagance is maybe going to a restaurant every four to six weeks. So so it, it wasn't difficult. I also wanted the staff to do well out of the business because hospitality doesn't traditionally pay well. Uh, I wanted them to earn more money for their work. They work incredibly hard. Uh, we're a really small team. It's just myself, Paul, Monica, and Aiden, with you know Vincent acting in a in a consultancy capacity, and they're the business. Uh, I don't really know what I would do without them. Uh, I never ever have to ask them to work harder. Uh, so that was a really really simple thing to do. And I suppose unlike most businesses, we don't have to pay crazy rents. We're in a very very small industrial premises in Dolphins Barn. Uh, you know our, our rent isn't exorbitant. So all of these calls, I suppose, just made sense to me as a business. It's, it's just how I want things to be, uh, if that makes sense. Mm. I want to talk about the the difference between pledging and actually uh, giving money out of turnover rather than profits or different kind of metrics of revenue. Because we often hear people saying, oh, you know, 10% of the profit or whatever will go to this charity or yeah. once expenses are taken away, I'll be donating X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah. But but so why is the turnover part different? Is that like all everything of all revenue that comes in, Precise, 1% yeah. of that? Yeah, every, every cent that we take in from the sale of coffee, that's what it is. We're a really, really small business. So and I guess this is, for me, the difference between pure and something that's that's genuine. I guess had we tried to be, had we tried to do something for for pure, we we could have just said profits. And to be honest with you, something that, that that kind of drives me mad, and that sometimes people do actually say that we're we're giving our profits because they they don't understand the difference. As a small business, giving profits would mean that we would end up giving really very very little. I mean, it it, it just wouldn't make any difference. So giving one percent of all of our sales. Well, that, that genuinely does make a difference. So I guess with the, 
the two percent that we donate to charity along with the the one percent that we give to staff which obviously isn't charity but all in all that 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 actually totals or totaled in our in our last year about 22 percent of our profits wow um that's a lot when you when you put it like that with regards to the the one percent so one percent has gone to women's aid and then there's another one percent that's going to various projects in different countries around the world somewhere you're actually buying directly coffee from is that correct yes uh so tell me a little bit about those okay well in our second year we decided that in addition to to the one percent to women's aid that we would give one percent to projects at coffee origins so the first place we looked to was colombia because we buy a huge amount of coffee uh from there particularly from a co-op called asopep which is in a place called planadas which is uh near tolima uh we had been made aware, I suppose, that they had infrastructure difficulties around the co-op. And we were shown a photograph of young children crossing a river by tree trunks and uh, using a very dodgy looking handrail to get to school. Uh, I found this photo very affecting. Uh, I have young twin girls and there was a girl in this picture who was pretty much their age. And it just kind of made me think, if this doesn't sound too cheesy, about how life is essentially a bit of a fluke it's dumb luck it's to use a word that's perhaps overused these days privilege uh and how i was just lucky to be born where i was born but that that was purely chance so immediately we decided that we would build a footbridge uh they were supplying us with all this lovely coffee so it just seemed a kind of right and fair thing to do to do something for them uh, so we launched a single origin coffee called El Puente to mark the occasion of the bridge opening, which happened in December 2019. And this year we're going to build another bridge in that co-op, but this time it's to link a school to a playground because uh, the bridge they're currently using looks like something from an Indiana Jones. Maybe it's 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 just kind of really dangerous and precarious looking. Uh, another project that we worked on last year was for Yemen. Uh, we got contacted by a Yemeni coffee company called Kima, who have an office in London. Uh, Yemen, I don't know if you're aware, it, it's arguably the birthplace of coffee. Uh, it's also a country that has suffered absolutely horribly in ways that I can't even really begin to comprehend. Uh, Yemeni coffee is really rare and they don't produce a lot for very obvious reasons, I suppose. So it, it, it's it's really, really expensive. So we ended up kind of buying this in. It was uh, it was Vincent's idea, actually. Uh, he kind of got onto me as soon as he saw the mail come in and felt that we should buy it, but just felt it would be very wrong to make money from it. So we kind of hatched a plan where we thought we'd buy this coffee. Uh, we would get on to a few coffee shops that we supply and we would ask them to sell it. But uh, they weren't allowed to keep the money. They had to give us back the money which they did very, very kindly, uh, which was an incredibly decent thing uh, for them to do. And we donated that money to MSF for a Yemen-specific project, I guess. Amazing. With all these kind of, um, obviously, you you think more about, more holistically, I suppose, about uh, the the impact of, you know, business, um, being an entrepreneur, the general capitalist exchange around the world or whatever. And um, the way you talk about it, it makes it seem quite simple to really kind of smooth the rough edges um, that can sometimes graze people uh, when business is being done. 
But what would your advice be to people who are running their own companies or thinking of setting up a company um, in terms of building an ethical model for business? Because, you know, as you say yourself, you know, when you're starting out, you may not necessarily know what what really what you're doing. It's it's hard to get a handle on things sometimes when people are going into like any kind of production with a product or anything like, like that. You often make um, expensive mistakes, you know, the wrong yeah, equipment yeah. or there's a lot of like outlay at the start. But what would you say if somebody's thinking of, I mean, especially because right now so many things are up in the air and loads of people are um, in this moment of cross between evaluating where they are in their lives uh, to, you know, having general existential crisis or thinking about um, a new path forward. And within that mix might will probably be loads of people actually following their passions or doing something very different. Yeah. When it comes to embedding, you know, decency and ethics into small business, how do you go about doing that um, from the get go? Look, I I suppose it's it's a very personal choice and I kind of appreciate and realize that, you know, what I'm doing isn't for everyone and that a lot of people don't kind of care about it. But I I think if if you do, you, you need to start with a very, very good product. Because you know, kind of having all of the all of those other things, that's fine. But but if the product isn't good to begin with, I think that you're you're kind of wasting your time. Uh, and I, I think as well that if 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 you don't believe in what you do, that people can can see through that. You know, I, I think that there needs to be an honesty about it. Uh, I would say you know automatically one of the first things you should do is to look at what your competitors are doing. But then I think you need to realize you are not them and just put them completely out of your mind because you can't control what your competitors do. And if you focus on it, it'll just drive you demented. Uh, I mean, I suppose from, from a personal perspective, I don't follow any other coffee roasters on social media. Uh, you know, I, I wish them all very well, but frankly, I don't really care about what they're doing. We just need to focus on what we do. So I think that's that's important for anybody starting up or thinking about doing something like this. Mm, I think that's good advice just generally, <laughs> you know, whether you're running a business or not. Um, the whole comparison is the theft of joy and all that kind of stuff. It's really yeah. easy to get hung up on what, on what other people are at and lose your own focus. Um, how has the pandemic impacted um, the business? And um, Andrea was was kind of doing a lot of thinking um when the pandemic hit with regards to her own business the the nail bar tropical popcorn and about having these kind of reflections about you know maybe I should have done things differently um because she's not very money oriented and then when a crisis hits you you wonder um if that's the right path forward but then of course you have to live with yourself really but how how have things has it been are the, uh, like some negative aspects or some positive aspects as well Look, I, I think like everybody, it's there's there's been a bit of both. I mean, three weeks before we went into lockdown, we we had just extended into the premises next door, so which was kind of three times the size of our original roastery. Uh, a new roaster had also arrived about uh, a week after that, which sadly is still in its crate and mocks me every day. Uh, I mean, all of our customers pretty much closed overnight. So my first reaction, I guess, was to panic. Uh, I was 
concerned for the staff. I was concerned for myself. Uh, the information initially, I suppose, around everything wasn't particularly clear. So I mean, I, I even closed our website. Uh, then we began to see a little bit more clarity from government. And I kind of put out a tweet along the lines of us being a business that had tried to help people and that we now needed help. Because uh, I, I suppose I'm one of those people who don't think there's any weakness or shame in, in asking for help. But the response to that was was phenomenal. Uh, as a business, we'd never really sold any coffee from our site. But uh, I realized, you know, that, that, that people who know about us, uh, even though I suppose there weren't that many at, at, at the moment, they, they really, really do support us. And uh, there was just a, a kind of phenomenal response to people buying our coffee online. So I owe massive thanks to to everybody who, who kind of did that. I mean, they, they kept us going. They kept the rent paid. They kept the staff paid. So I suppose we are, you know, more more fortunate than, than a lot of people. And I, I do realize that. There is something about um, the product itself, like the coffee that you sell, um, that I think for me, uh, not to get too kind of uh, lofty about things, but when a product is very good, you know, it does kind of inspire a, a connection or, or a loyalty, even if you don't know anything else about the company. Um a couple of people, uh, you know, during the lockdown when, you know, they're kind of asking, um, I was having chats with a couple of friends and they're saying like, oh, I need to get, you know, I need to buy some coffee. I need to get my fancy coffee or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. I would mention like imbibe and they'd be like, oh yeah, no, I get their kaleidoscope coffee. Like they're so good. Oh, I'm deaf. I didn't know they were selling it from the side. I'm going to do that or whatever. And then when they learn about you know, the ethics and the kind of the heart of the company, it's like, oh, wow, like it, you kind of feel uh, a deeper connection to it. But in obviously nothing that you um, are doing would matter in many ways unless the product was really, really, really good um, because that allows you to, um, I suppose that's, a, that's the engine of the entire vehicle that you're trying to drive in many ways so it is yeah the coffee kind of has to be front and center and the the other stuff which you know we i i very much love about the business that's all i mean that i i guess we can only do that because well, well hopefully people think the coffee is good and that's mm. primarily why they're buying it so what are you excited about in coffee land these days Look, I guess my biggest joy, well, one of my biggest joys from a, just, just a coffee perspective is our, our coffee club, because what's always kind of driven me mad about, and look, this is, this is for roasteries all over the world. Everybody's claiming to sell, you know, the best coffee in the world. And realistically, I think specialty coffee roasters are all selling very good coffee, but, you know, it's not the very best in the world because the very best in the world is, is very hard to source and it's, it's really scarce. So, We've actually tried to source the very best coffee in the world. So the best coffee in the world comes from Panama, which I suppose most people won't know. Uh, and we made a connection through Damien, who I mentioned earlier, with a coffee farmer in Panama called Pedro, who came to visit us in the roastery last year. So, uh, and to get really super geeky, nerdy here, I suppose, Panama Geisha is the varietal that, that kind of breaks world records every year. So our coffee club, which is a kind of, it isn't a subscription. It's basically a once a month mailing list. We sold Geisha on that and it sold out in an hour, which we were really kind of thrilled about. And we're also kind of bringing coffees into that that, that just haven't been in Ireland before. 
And then last week, three coffees arrived in the roastery from a company, again, in Panama called 90 Plus. So 90 Plus broke their own world record for coffee price last year. Uh, so we now have three of their coffees that will probably go out in, I know, at some stage later in the year. But I'm really, really excited about that. And then I just guess also, you know, new, new origins emerging. I mean, Colombia, who've, who've always obviously sold a hell of a lot of coffee, are now at their kind of upper level just doing amazing coffee. So we're really kind of excited about those. Uh, we're also going to taste some coffee from Zambia in a couple of weeks' time, which is a place I've never had coffee from before. And then, you know, India, China, these are all kind of new, new places. So I guess as coffee geeks, we're always excited about that. The, I suppose, third or fourth, probably fourth wave coffee, I mean, whichever wave you, you kind of buy into or whatever. Yeah. Um, there are kind of uh, contentious um, points of view on coffee that is much more floral, delicate, tea-like uh, yeah. versus the type your, of... Your geishas and your, yeah. Yeah, versus the more like robust, dark roast, you know, yeah, very es- like coffee. espresso Italian um, vibe that people are used to. Um, for me, imbibe kind of almost bridges those two. Like the 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 a lot of the notes and flavors are super complex and very can be like very like light in a way. But then yeah. there's a wholeness and robustness to the coffee that you roast. Um, that I think for me marks it out a little bit more than uh, a coffee that is less satisfying in terms of um, its depth, I get, which which I think that um, a lot of people can be turned off by very um, modern high-end coffee uh, if it doesn't necessarily have a coffee taste. If they can't identify the oomph uh, within it, let's yeah. say. Yeah, but like that's where our, our kind of range starts out. So kind of kaleidoscope would be very like that. And then I guess mm. we, we kind of have our coffee in brown bags, which is our, our, our kind of story coffees, which are kaleidoscope and El Puente, and then then the stuff in, in, in the white bags. And I guess the more you spend on a bag of coffee, the less like coffee you wanted to taste. Uh, I suppose to, to put it in kind of very layman's terms. So, you know, so our, our really expensive coffees, I guess, are coffees that don't really taste very much like coffee which is a very niche market. But I'm kind of very conscious that the, the stuff like Kaleidoscope, that's the most popular. That's, you know, I think it, it's a lot better in terms of quality and taste than those traditional Italian coffees. Mm. But it's still tastes of coffee. You know you're drinking coffee. And I guess as well, coffee has become or, or had become a very kind of dogmatic thing, a very, there was a snobbery to it uh, that I think turned an awful lot of people off. Uh, you know, I think there were people were almost intimidated by some of it, but I, I hope that is now beginning to fall away. So what are your, finally, Gary, this has been a really interesting chat and I think, um, will be quite instructive for people thinking about, um, often like actually the simplicity of, of having an, you know, an ethical company that is high end that you can do multiple things at the same time. It doesn't have to be kind of one or the other, Yeah, but where what what is next for you do you reckon because i would imagine that this has been an incredibly frantic and unusual time as a business owner uh, as it has been for everyone um what kind of chinks of light are you seeing um you know coming coming down the 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 calendar 
if if at all, I guess. Like, how do you move on from from this moment when we're well, in such flux? I guess we have a new kind of retail arm to our business, which has been a positive. Uh, a lot of our wholesale customers are now beginning to, are now beginning to reopen, and to use the again much overused term, they are pivoting. And I think a lot of businesses, particularly cafes, are moving from cafes where people sat in to becoming small food markets, which I think is a really positive thing because I guess for years we bemoaned the the closing of local shops and how everything was suddenly becoming a spa. So now I think there are cafes who are operating as small food markets. And I think that's a really, really positive thing, you know, for, for community, for those businesses and for the people living in those areas. So I think that that might be a positive that's that's come out of this. Excellent. Gary, um, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's a chat that I've wanted to have for for a while now because I'm just very interested in in the, the company. It is my coffee of choice. Um, <laughs> so uh, keep up the great work and uh, thanks for, for popping into United Ireland. Thank you very, very much. Really appreciate it.